Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Quarterly Commentary Podcast. This is something new that we're doing. We manage various asset allocation portfolios that are our ETF strategies. This podcast to discuss the changes that we made mid-January as we rebalance in the middle of the first month of each quarter. Today with me, I have Bill O'Grady, our Chief Market Strategist, David Miyazaki, a Portfolio Manager, and I am Kaiza Stuckey, Investment Strategist. I would say that all three of us also sit together on the Asset Allocation Investment Committee, as well as Mark Keller, our CIO, and Patty Dahl. Dave, let's start off. Since we rebalanced, and even before then, although the year is young, it's been a rocky ride for all markets globally. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. Thanks, Kaiza. You know, one of the things that we have been talking about and writing about at length has been the extraordinarily low levels of volatility that have characterized the financial markets for several years. And we really believe that a lot of that has come from the extraordinary amounts of liquidity that has been provided by the world's central banks. And as we're entering a period for the United States where that monetary stimulus is beginning to be withdrawn, uh, it's happening at a time when economic growth rates around the world remain very low or in some cases negative. And uh, particularly, there's a lot of concerns about what is happening in China. And so when we put that together, the conditions have created a lot of uncertainty and volatility in the marketplace. And that's why we're off to one of the more uh, volatile and turbulent Januaries that we've seen in in quite some time. Yeah, that's that's true. And uh, in the U.S., we've seen a lot of volatility. Globally, it's, it's been tough. Bill, what are your views? Uh, the global economy uh, has been very problematic. In fact, uh, going into this year, the, the general consensus was that the U.S. was going to be the, the strongest economy in the world, and, and that still is the case. Um, things here are not really all that great, but elsewhere they're to some extent even worse. Uh, starting in Europe, growth there has been slow for quite a while as, as the Eurozone tries to cope uh, with the dislocations caused by the two major crises they had over the past five years. Now they're being afflicted by uh, yet another major crisis, the, uh, the crisis of, of immigration from the, uh, from the Middle East, the, the refugee crisis. Uh, the Eurozone is is really struggling to try to keep growth positive and actually avoid deflation. Uh, Mario Draghi, the president of the ECB, is, has been out uh, on a periodic basis talking about further stimulus measures, things such as that. The effect so far has been uh, been modest, and we really don't anticipate a whole lot of growth out of Europe this year. Uh, The Middle East is in great turmoil. Uh, There are two hot wars uh, in Yemen and and in in the middle of the Middle East, uh, neither of which will probably be resolved in 2016. Uh, Lower oil prices have led to significant 
economic problems throughout the region as well. The Far East and Asia has, has been a bright spot for much of the, this century. Uh, not so now. Uh, we have seen a definitive slowdown in China, uh, the extent of which is hard to gauge. Uh, the Chinese economy is opaque. It's, it's quite difficult to get numbers that you can rely on. Uh, the, the data we get is, is universally panned for being manipulated. But the things that we can see uh, are, are troublesome. Uh, one of the things that we note in la last year was that about a trillion dollars left China. Um, capital flight is becoming a, a serious problem, and usually capital flight, we don't ever know for sure why investors in a foreign country decide to suddenly move money out of their country. Usually it's a sign of worries about instability and the like. Um, the, the China situation is probably the one that's having the biggest impact on, on global investor sentiment. Uh, because we don't know, it's, it's hard to gauge uh, how bad things are or not. Uh, Chinese officials have, have kind of botched things. They, they had an um, ill-advised and, and uh, uh, ill-prepared devaluation of their currency last August. Uh, they had a, a series of structural mistakes in their equity markets. Led to a kind of a cascade of, of problems uh, because they were using uh, circuit breakers that shut the market off too soon. So in light of all this, the uncertainty around China um, has, has played a serious role. And, and, you know, at this point, the U.S. looks like the, the best of a bad bunch. Right. So with that, the U.S. economy benefits from the inflows, um, given the background of slowing global growth, at the same time, the U.S. economy itself is seeing uneven improvements in the labor market, consumer confidence. So growth is still weak, yet the Federal Reserve is thinking about and has started to hike. There's a lot going on domestically. Dave, what do you think this next year holds for the U.S., and how do you think the Fed would proceed? Yeah, so those are really important points, Kaiza. I, I think that what Bill addresses in the way of growing uncertainty around the world, geopolitically and economically, are, are being combined with a lot of uncertainty with regard to how the U.S. economy is going to grow when the Federal Reserve is raising short-term interest rates. Most of the time, the Fed's policy tends to tighten, and, and we have higher short-term rates, because either growth is going at a rate that is higher than what the Fed would, is comfortable uh, having unfold, or inflation is either high or is rising. And in this situation, we're really not seeing high growth or inflation in the United States, and so the Fed policy is somewhat enigmatic as to why they are rise, raising rates right now. And that just dovetails with the uncertainty uh, that we're seeing around the world. What we do see in the, in the U.S. economy right now is that although growth remains low and has been since the last recession below the long-term average, that the 
the economy is still pretty stable. We are seeing pockets, uh, you know, certain areas of energy, obviously, um, retail, manufacturing are, are showing some areas of weakness. On the other hand, if we look at uh, home prices, uh, we look at wages, we look at um, the unemployment rate, there are signs in there where that are showing some stability and strength. So right now, we don't believe that the U.S. economy is going to go into a recession. That said, we think it's going to be very important to pay attention to what the Fed is doing, and we would like to see that the Fed is aware of the economic trends domestically and globally and uh, really calibrate their tighter monetary policy in a, a very gradual manner. Great. So no recession, that's an important yes, point. Yes, <laughs> it is. It's a very important point because it is the recessions tend to hold uh, most of the risk for equity market, equity investors, and that's why we, we spend so much time uh, monitoring uh, economic growth. Okay, talking about equity markets, we remain pretty well diversified across capitalization classes. What do you think about the uh, large, mid, and small cap uh, domestic stocks? Well, one of the things that we see pretty consistently is that large cap stocks tend to have less volatility. And so oftentimes we, we like to bring that in as a, a significant allocation within most equity uh, allocations. Um, however, we, we are of the opinion that mid and small caps, uh, because they, uh, these companies oftentimes have a, a particular niche that they're working in, have the opportunity to potentially uh, bring growth that may be higher than what we're seeing in, in the broader economy. And for that reason, we do uh, incorporate uh, small and mid-caps, particularly where risk tolerance is a little higher. Great. We also only include foreign developed in our most aggressive portfolio, and we stay out of commodities. Bill, would you like to say a word about that? Well, in, we we have a, a couple of of uh, significant um, calls is probably the, the most efficient way to describe it uh, in our asset allocation. One of them is is has been leaning uh, far away from foreign and 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 avoiding commodities as well. Uh, we do have a a five percent uh, allocation in aggressive growth uh, to developed market economies simply based on the idea that an aggressive investor, uh, given uh, low valuations, uh, probably ought to be taking uh, some risk in these uh, in that area. But outside of that one particular sleeve, we have been avoiding uh, foreign, in part uh, because we view this as a strong dollar period, and, and if you're investing overseas in a strong dollar period, uh, you're, you're facing a headwind, uh, number one. And number two, uh, on a more secular basis, this is a period where the U.S. is um, adjusting and, and to some extent withdrawing from its superpower role, which, which makes foreign investing uh, rather uncertain. So for uh, the, the areas of allocation that are uh, more geared toward uh, less risk, uh, we feel that foreign, uh, both emerging and uh, developed, is, is inappropriate for, for those accounts because we believe the risks are pretty elevated. 
Same is the case for commodities. The slowdown in, in economic growth in China is, is playing absolute havoc on the, uh, on the commodity sector. Uh, commodities tend to be one additional way to um, participate in emerging market growth. Uh, not only are, are emerging economies large consumers of, of commodities, they're also large producers. And so a slowdown in the commodity markets uh, or slowdown in economic growth from the emerging markets tends to hurt the commodity markets in, in two directions. The third direction is stronger dollar tends to weigh on commodities as well. So we continue to lean away from uh, foreign and emerging, uh, foreign developed emerging and commodities for that reason. Great. Um, to finish up, let's uh, address our duration, and we have lengthened our duration, and we now include bonds in all of our portfolios. Dave, given the Fed's um, tightening, what do you think would happen, especially to the longer um, duration bonds? Sure. So it is normally the case that when the Federal Reserve embarks on a policy of raising interest rates that uh, the risk in the bond market tends to rise because people expect interest rates to rise, not just in, in the short-term area where the Fed may be uh, raising the overnight rate, but the response is across all maturities and interest rates rise. And our view on this particular cycle is, is contrary to the conventional wisdom because the Fed is raising rates in a low-growth, low-inflation environment. And for that reason, we actually have, uh, for quite some time, embraced intermediate and longer maturity bonds uh, with the belief that uh, the outcome uh, can be very beneficial for, for bond investors and for investors in general because the bonds are providing uh, some positive characteristics in a couple of different scenarios. In, in one scenario, if the Fed raises rates too quickly or goes too far, then that increases the risk of a recession. And if we were to go into a recessionary period, then we believe that longer maturity bonds would benefit um, the portfolio because interest rates would tend to come down. On the other hand, if the Federal Reserve goes very slowly, uh, the, the perception that the climate for bonds is very constructive, could become pretty widespread, and that in turn could also benefit longer maturity bonds. Uh, the, the, the third benefit that we get from, from bonds right now, and we've really seen this over the past few quarters, is that the diversification has really been very beneficial in portfolios in that in most instances when the equity markets have had precipitous declines, the bond prices, uh, particularly for longer maturity bonds, have gone up. And so this is really providing diversification to the overall portfolio by including longer maturity bonds. And we, we, can, we believe that this environment is likely to continue for quite some time, and that's why we uh, maintain a posture that is really focused on intermediate and longer maturity bonds. And this quarter we actually did further increase our exposure in, in certain portfolios to longer maturity bonds. Great. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Bill. With that, I would like to thank you for listening. We do also write a quarterly commentary that accompanies our asset allocation rebalance. 
You can check it out on our website at confluenceinvestment.com. Thank you for listening. Auf Wiedersehen.